Vacation with Chuck Swindoll, June 30th through July 7th of 2012, on the Insight for Living Cruise Conference to the Alaskan Frontier. When was the last time you lingered at the balcony of a cruise liner or counted bald eagles sitting in towering trees along the shoreline? Probably never. Until now. The theme, cultivating your family's pioneer spirit. So pack your bags. There's something planned for all ages. You and your loved ones will set sail with us on the MS Westerdam for a week of cruising. Laughter, fun, with friends from Insight for Living. Alaska with Chuck Swindoll, June 30th through July 7th of 2012. For more information or to request a brochure, call 1-888-447-0444. That's 1-888-447-0444. Or online, insight.org slash events. Space is limited, so make your reservation now. The Insight for Living Tour to Alaska is paid for and made possible by only those who choose to attend. There's no debating what the statistics prove. The God-ordained institution of marriage is under attack in our culture. While some couples have opted to dissolve their partnership altogether, others have decided to abandon the biblical model and simply live together outside the covenant of marriage. Today on Insight for Living, you'll hear Chuck Swindoll introduce a classic series called Strike the Original Match. In the event you missed Friday's program, we'll begin with helpful review. Proverbs 24.3 says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. For that reason, Chuck Swindoll says, Let's consult the architect. A divine institution is a principle that is ordained and established by God for the purpose of preserving and protecting the entire human race. There are three of them clearly set forth in Scripture. First, there is marriage, and second, there is the family, and third, there is government. Those three are the major institutions that God has established to help care for our world. Now, as we begin this series, I would like to make several words of introduction to start things off right. First of all, I want it to be known that though this series will especially be for the married or those just about to be, we are not forgetting you that are not yet married or have been married and now are not. The second area I'd like to develop is that this will be essentially a biblical study. If you know much about bookstores today, you know that especially in Christian bookstores, the shelves are lined with books on the family and the home. I have looked into some of these shelves. In fact, in some bookstores, I've looked through every book. And I have been amazed at how few of them are essentially biblical studies. Now, the third area I would like to clarify is that throughout the series, I will draw upon my own marriage. Our marriage is not a model marriage. Our home is not the perfect home. It is a home filled with six sinners. 
So I'll be sharing honestly with you failures and lessons and experiences that will help you know that you don't have to be perfect to have a Christian home. Now, the fourth area that I want to clarify is that uh, we're approaching this subject as though we are remodeling a house into a home. So I've given thought to how it might go together. We're going to, first of all, choose the plans, consulting the architect this morning, dealing with the cost tonight. Now, if there are questions, I don't have the answers, so you'll have to go to one another beyond that. I'll tell you all I know and then some. I'll share with you things... I'll share with you things that I'm not now practicing, as well as some things that uh, I have found to work. But all the way through, the Bible will be our guide. So let's get into it. Genesis chapter 2. God said to Adam in verse 18, It is not good for you to be alone. Chapter 2, verse 18 is the first time in all the Bible something is not good. Did you know that? God has made the world and it's good. He makes the stars and the sun and the moon, and it's good. He separates the light from darkness and the land from the sea, and it's very good. The sea is swarming with creatures, and little plants begin to bud, and uh, vegetation begins to cover the earth with green. And God says it's very good. And then man is made, and God says something is not good. There was a part of Adam that's missing. There is an area of his life that is incomplete, said God, and God had made man. The perfect holy God had formed from a ball of mud the man. And having made him, he looked at him and he said, there's something missing. There's an isolation about him that isn't good. There is a part that needs to be complete. And you know the story. God came to his rescue in verse 18 and he said, I will make him a helper suitable for him. The very first word to describe the woman, and we'll look more deeply into it in the messages to come, is the word helper. It's a word that means to assist another one to his complete fulfillment. It's the idea of coming in and helping so that it is a suitable part of that other life. God made the woman so that as a counterpart and as a suitable helper, he might be complete. And in that experience, as a matter of fact, she isn't in slavery. She is very free. It is an experience known by very few in this world today. For so many feel that real freedom is doing your own thing, your own way. Few things are more enslaving. God designs it such a way that both find marvelous fulfillment when they fit together in this harmonious bond. Now look down at verse 21. He said, I will make a helper suitable for him. And so he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Here is the first surgery. God puts him to sleep. And then it says he takes one of his ribs and he closes up the flesh at that place, and he fashions into a woman the rib. This word literally means build or rebuild. He restores the rib into a living thing. He opens the chest of Adam, and he pulls out a rib, and he closes it up without a scar, apparently, from the way it reads. And then in that unblemished body, 
God, with that rib in his hand, as it were, turns that rib into a restoration of something that flourishes. That's the Hebrew thought. This thing becomes alive. And he builds into this woman the parts missing in the man. And it says in that same verse, he brought her to the man. It's one of the most moving verses in all the chapter. Adam in his need, just recovering from surgery, looks up. And there is the missing part. And he looks at this woman and he says in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones. And now verse 24, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. The Hebrew word means to glue or to glue oneself. It's a bond. For this reason, the man and the woman will be bonded together with a permanent glue. And it says in the last part of verse 24, they shall become one flesh. Now listen carefully. That particular description is never used for the parent-child relationship. You are never called one flesh with your child or with your parent. You are never called one flesh with your grandparent. Or with individuals who become the closest of friends, you're never called one flesh. You are called one flesh with only one other person, and that is your mate. I say that because so many homes decide that the way to keep it together is to have children. And so the children become, unfortunately, the bond that make it hang together. And what's happening? The parent is becoming one flesh with the child. And what happens when the child leaves the nest? You know what happens. There has not been a bond developed in the relationship between husband and wife. We'll talk more about that this evening. Now, the question comes, once they became one flesh, was there real harmony? 25 says, the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. I think it means more than physical nakedness. It means that. But the Hebrew word means bare, as if to say wide open, unguarded, unthreatened. Their lives were unzipped and opened before one another, and there was nothing to fear, nothing to shame, nothing to run from. As a matter of fact, I have a personal theory that one of the reasons that sin took such a terrible toll on Adam and Eve is because for the first time when sin came, they became self-conscious. Up until that point, they were other-conscious and God-conscious. But when sin left its ugly scar, man became self-conscious. And you that have wrestled with it, correction, we that have wrestled with being self-conscious, know something of the struggle of trying to live in harmony in that terrible, threatening experience. But here they were in harmony, unzipped, open, unguarded, that bond that knew no bounds. Now I read the mind of the cynic as he goes over these verses with us, and, he, and I hear him say, yes, but they were not sinful. And that's true. Now that was when they were innocent. Sin doesn't come until chapter 3. 
and then pulls the rug out from under them. Is it possible for sinful people to have this kind of open, unashamed harmony as Adam and Eve had it? Well, let's consult a sinner. Solomon, Proverbs chapter 24. If anybody knows something about women, he does. I think Solomon knew also a lot about himself. His problem was like mine. He couldn't practice everything he preached. But God allowed him to put it into the text so that we would know the guidelines to follow. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 will become in days to come the foundation verse for this whole series. Just as in our series on you and your child, the foundational verse was 22.6. In our series on you and your marriage, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 will be the basis. We'll call it our home base, our headquarters. We'll refer to it perhaps in every one of the messages we bring. By wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Before we really dig into the verse, I want you to notice with me a couple of things it is not talking about. First of all, it is not talking about things, material things, such as a new house or appointments that are added to a home. It's not talking about physical decorations that we place in a home important though they are. But in comparison to what this is talking about, they are insignificant. So the real answer, according to Solomon and according to God, who would validate everything Solomon has written, the real answer does not rest in what we possess, but in what we are. Your marriage will not be strengthened because you buy the right thing, your marriage will be strengthened and restored because you are the right one. I don't say many things that are profound, but that was one that I don't want you to forget. Your marriage will not be strong because of what you have. It will be strong because of what you are. I notice also that uh, it does not even mention people. You notice that about these two verses? A house is built. It's established. The rooms are filled. So the answer is not another mate. How weary of the idea, which is so shallow in our day. My answer is another mate. And the problem is you carry with you all of the anchors into the next one that you have now sunk in this one. Now listen carefully to what it is saying. First of all, there are three main phrases in this passage. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, a house is established. By knowledge, a house is filled. Three main phrases. Look carefully at the verbs. Built, established, filled. Meditate upon them for a couple of seconds. These are the three major terms involved in remodeling, building, establishing, filling. Let's dig into them for a moment. 
The word built comes from the Hebrew word that means to restore. It means to rebuild something so that it flourishes. It's used of Nehemiah who rebuilt the wall. It is used of God who took the rib from Adam's chest and rebuilt it. So the point I am saying is that this home of yours can be restored. It is never too late. A home can be restored. Dr. Franz Dalich, who has written a great deal about the Old Testament text and is quite a student in his years of these 39 books, says this about the word built. It means to prosper, to attain to a successful and flourishing state. End of quote. By wisdom, a home prospers and becomes successful and attains to a flourishing state by wisdom. Now, look at the next phrase. It is established. This Hebrew word means to set in order something that is cluttered. It means to stand upright something that has fallen. It means to correct the path that was once wrong. You get the picture? By wisdom, a home is restored. By understanding, it is corrected. It is set right. It is made full. And that's the third phrase. It is filled. The word fill doesn't suggest just the idea of filling a glass as you would fill one for a drink of water. That's half empty compared to this word. This word means filled to overflowing. It is used to describe the giving of godly people in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where it says their vats will be filled to overflowing as will their barns. Now, do you hear what this is saying? It actually says your home can be restored, can be set in order. It can actually find fulfillment in every room. The word that is translated room means a private chamber. And I think it is used not of the bedroom or bathroom or kitchen or den. It is used of the private areas of your household, of that which characterizes your home when no one is looking. It is talking about your life within the confines of your family. And I want you to observe, it says, those rooms can be filled with precious and pleasant riches. What does that mean? It means the things that won't burn up when a fire strikes. Let's illustrate it this way. If you were to leave the church service this morning and run by a restaurant to get a bite to eat before you go home for an afternoon of rest or some other activity, you would spend perhaps another hour or two in your travel and in your eating. And by the time you come into your driveway, you notice that your home has been burnt all the way to the ground. All you can see are a few pipes and a concrete slab and rubble. 
What are the riches of Proverbs 24, 3 and 4? They are the things that would not have been destroyed in the fire. If someone asks you, um, what's your home like? You know what your normal response is? Well, we have four bedrooms, two baths. We have a two-car garage. We have a split level. We have a wood-burning fireplace. We have a few built-in appliances. Uh, oh, yes, we have matching drapes and carpet, and um, we're redecorating our... No, no, wait a minute. That's your junk. Spelled J-U-N-Q-U-E. You know, that's the way we look at it. Now, do, do, do I mean that it's not important to decorate a home? I don't mean that at all. That's my favorite hobby. That's what I do on my days off. My wife and I enjoy together the decoration of our home. Do I think it ought not to be attractive? I think it ought to be extremely attractive. I think the Christian's home ought to perhaps be as attractive as it can possibly be, well, with good taste and good appointments. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I'm saying in comparison to eternal things, it's junk. And I'm saying when we come back to our driveway this afternoon and look, and it's been burnt, we will have lost nothing of our riches. But you see, man has turned it the other way. Man has put everything into things so that we are mesmerized. We are paralyzed into thinking all we need, honey, are more things. And so we pack them in. We pack them in. But misery just increases as our rooms remain empty from the riches. God says... By wisdom, it can be restored. By understanding, it can be set right. By knowledge, those rooms can have those qualities that will never burn up. Stop and think a minute, will you? I want to go back and talk about wisdom and understanding and knowledge before we're through, but let's pause for a, a little commercial break here, okay? Think about your home right now. Will you? Think about your role as the child of the home or teenager in the home, the mom or the dad, husband or wife. Think about your role. Think about this last period of seven days that began last Sunday until last Saturday night, last night. What characterized your home? If someone in this congregation could have been a bug on the wall and placed himself where you didn't know he was and witnessed what was going on, what would he observe? Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, or not? You see, that's convicting to me, too. I want to show you why. Look at these words. I want to show you how sinful people, by the grace of God, can live in the same kind of harmony Adam and Eve lived in, even with the presence of sin and failure. You can't beat an offer like that. That's the best deal you've ever heard about. But let me show you something about it. First of all, it will take wisdom. This is a God-given skill, as is understanding, as is knowledge. But the word wisdom means 
seeing with discernment. It's the idea of seeing a broad picture of something. Seeing myself with discernment. Seeing my mate with discernment. Seeing my children the same way. Seeing conflicts, not as surface irritations, but with a discerning broad view as God views them. I want you to know that with wisdom, you can restore your home. With his first message in the classic series called Strike the Original Match, you're listening to Insight for Living and Chuck Swindoll. Now, this series has been tagged as a classic, and that means we've completely remastered all 14 sermons and packaged the CDs in a sturdy slipcase. In addition, Chuck and Cynthia sat down to answer some candid questions about their marriage, and we've added their fun and lively responses on a bonus CD for you. The bonus CD has never been aired on Insight for Living. The entire set comes with a helpful Bible companion study guide as well. You'll want to add this timeless classic series to your personal collection. For Strike the Original Match, call 1-800-772-8888 if you're listening in the United States. Or go online to insightworld.org. Chuck, our monthly companion program uh, may be the best-kept secret at Insight for Living. Yeah, you're probably right, Dave. We don't talk about it a lot, and perhaps we should, because the influence of this support team has been such an encouragement. And monthly companions are providing the livelihood from which we're able to operate. We're deeply grateful for the vision and the commitment of this growing team of loyal, close friends. A monthly companion is someone who gives a donation to the ministry each month. The process is really quick and easy, but I can assure you the impact lasts forever. I hope you'll take a few moments and become one of our own monthly companions today. And to become a monthly companion, if you're listening in the United States, just speak to one of our ministry reps at 1-800-772-8888 or go online to insight.org slash monthly companions. And whether you become a monthly companion or just give a one-time donation today, we want to give you the brand new Insights Handbook of New Testament Backgrounds. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888 or online go to insight.org. Chuck Swindoll's classic series on marriage continues Tuesday. Strike the original match on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Let's Consult the Architect, was copyrighted in 1975 and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2012 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide.